0: Mac Power Users, episode 523, The State of the iPad. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, joined by one of my very favorite nerds in the whole world, Stephen Hackett.
1: Hey, man. How are you?
0: Good, good. uh, I'm looking forward. You know, we started at the beginning of the year. We wanted to talk through the state of the various Apple platforms. Uh, here we are in February, and we're going to be talking today about the iPad.
1: Someone emailed us, you know, wanting to know how far the state of the blank would go. Like, are you going to do state of the state of the Apple TV remote? It's like, well, that one would be easy. Yeah. It's not very good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: the end. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, it'd be hard to turn that into a show.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we did the iPhone, and here we are uh, at the iPad. I think the, the Mac is going to be next, but. I think it's really good timing because, you know, here in February, you know, there's rumors of an iPad event, so we kind of want to get in before that, but we're about halfway through the cycle for iPad OS 13, so I think it's a good time to talk about where it is and maybe where it could go in the beginning, so I think this is well-timed on our part.
0: Yeah. Uh, before we get started, I have one announcement. Okay. Um, the this week I shipped the f- free update to the Keyboard Maestro Field Guide. If you bought it, uh, version one point one is out. It's a free update. Just log in, and all the videos will be there. At the same time, I'm putting a uh, five dollar sale on the um, five dollars off sale on the uh, Field Guide. So, if you want to get it, um, just type in "Hooray KM" like "Hooray Keyboard Maestro." Nice. and uh you'll get $5 off and that's only going to be good for a week so if you're listening to this you should and you want to get it go get it
1: cool i'll have a link to that in the show notes so people to find it
0: great um so the ipad this this is one of the shows when we put that on the list i was thinking this is one that is going to be an emotional journey for me because <laughs> I, I am a particular fan of the iPad and it has you know taken me ups and downs. It's been a very emotional Apple product for me. Um, but I thought before we got into the details of where the iPad is today, I thought it'd be fun to spend a little bit of time just kind of talking about how the iPad came to be and kind of the, the genesis of the product. I think that helps inform what has happened and maybe where it's going. And the, uh, you know, the, the story is, I mean, the, uh, the Walter Isaacson, Steve Jobs biography, there's a lot of people that have a lot of problems with that book, but he does a good job of documenting some of the Apple products and how they came to be. And one of the interesting stories he tells in the book is how Steve's wife convinced him to go to a dinner with somebody from Microsoft and the guy couldn't stop blathering on about the Windows tablet system. And Steve got so mad that he went back to Apple and said, OK, then we can make one, too. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm kind of summarizing. But that that's really where Apple started thinking about the touch operating system. And the very first iPhone was not an iPhone, it was an iPad, even though it probably didn't have that name at the time. It was, you know, what if we had a small screen, not iPhone screen, but like an iPad size screen, and we put a touch operating system on it and they started playing with that and very quickly realized that, no, wait a second, this technology is good enough we could make a phone out of it. And they they kind of abandoned or or put on the shelf the tablet plans and went all in on the product that eventually became the iPhone. Um, So the, the iPad started before the iPhone, but didn't get finished until after they kind of got the iPhone into the market and was an established product. But from the outside, I can tell you, I was very excited about Apple making a tablet for a very long time.
1: It had been rumored forever, just like the phone had, right? Like if you go back to 2005 or so, people are talking about, oh, Apple's going to do a phone. It's going to be based on the iPod. And of course, you know, there were <laughs> rumors.
0: Yeah, going to have uh, the click wheel. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh boy. And there were a lot of rumors about the tablet as well. And uh, there were, during that time frame, like I talked about and wrote about wanting it to run Mac software. And, yeah. you know, clearly in hindsight, that wasn't where they were ever going to go and didn't make much sense. But the, with the iPhone kind of laying the, the way for the iPad, I think Apple did things in the right order.
0: I remember multiple trips for some reason. There's this one bridge on the, um, the freeway to the orange County airport. And I would fly up there for MacWorld every year. And for some reason I drive under that bridge every time and think about is this year we're going to get the tablet, you know, mm-hmm. and to this day, I still think about the iPad when I drive under that bridge and how your brain makes these weird connections. But, and, and there were all these ways to think about, like you said, is it going to be like a Mac? Well, that would make sense because a lot of the original windows tablets were windows computers and they had fans and they had, they were big and, you know, they ran windows computing platform with a pin. So naturally you would think Apple would go that direction, but as the iPhone took root and became bigger, I think a lot a lot of folks thought, well, you know, a touch interface kind of big iPhone is what they're going to do, but are they going to do it? And nobody knew how big the screen size was going to be. Nobody knew how much they're going to, you know, keep it just like the iPhone versus stray from the iPhone and give it a separate operating system. And all this stuff was hypothetical. And uh, it was great, kind of fun figuring out what it would be and speculating about it it's it's just you know one of the funnest things about liking apple stuff sometimes is trying to figure out you know like now we're talking about what are these glasses going to be like it was the same thing but i think it was more fun talking about a tablet because a tablet was something that a lot of people actually wanted Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm not sure the glasses are is going to be as popular so we had all these thoughts and and i remember one of the thoughts we thought about was price
1: yeah, there was a lot of rumors, I think, including in the Wall Street Journal, that this was gonna cost nine ninety nine. And at the time, you know, you could get a MacBook for I think eleven or twelve ninety nine. So I felt like, yeah, this would be a little bit less than a laptop. And I think I think a lot of people going into the event really thought nine ninety nine was gonna be it.
0: I would have I would have expected that to be the price. You know, in, in hindsight, that was half the price. That was one of the big deal. I mean, one of the biggest announcements of the iPad was the price point. It was
1: $499. Yeah, there's this great bit in the keynote. And I'm going to put in the notes. I recently re-watched the iPad keynote and did like a commentary track. If you haven't seen that on my YouTube channel, it'll be available for you. And there's this like great line that we want to make our best technology available for everybody. And don't get me wrong, $499 is still a lot of money for a lot of people, but it is way more attainable than 999. And it really made the iPad seem like something that anyone could attain for you know not that much money compared to a laptop, which is really cool. Like it's I love to see technology when it's new come come out where, you know, a price that's pretty accessible.
0: Yeah. I remember someone telling me that was at the event that at the time, they said, how can Apple make this for, $4.99? for 499 for 499? And, and you know, how can they sell this and make money off of it? And the Apple executives pointed to Tim cook in the audience and said, because of that guy, that's why it's 499. So that was like one of the first time Tim cook became real, you know, prevalent to mind for me in terms of his relationship to what he's doing for Apple. So it is an interesting product. The other thing that's interesting about the 499 price was, a lot of us going in wanted more from the iPad than a big iPhone. I mean, I did. I mean, you wanted a Mac, you know, (laughs)
1: right?
0: You wanted to run Keyboard Master on your iPad. So um, that, I think that was a a fair position. I mean, obviously it's not the direction they went. What they did was they made a, a big iPhone or maybe even more apt, a big iPod touch. And it really, I mean, it had the same icon grid. It did not stray, you know, to answer the question earlier, the original iPad did not stray at all very far from the iPhone. Um, and I think that 499 price, for a lot of us, myself included, kind of distracted me from the fact that it wasn't as powerful as I would have liked it to have been.
1: Yeah, there, there's clear, I maybe mean, even to this day, right, there's clear DNA shared between the iPhone and iPad. But in those early days... Yes, the interface was redone. They talk a lot about that in that you know, keynote. Like we went into all of our apps and created these new UIs to take advantage of the 9.7-inch screen. But the iPad didn't do anything markedly different than what the iPhone could do. And so from terms of functionality, it kind of was a big phone. That That changed over time. I think that's pretty different now. But in those early days, that was criticism that was often hurled at the iPad, and it wasn't completely unfounded.
0: Yeah. However, Apple did um, realize that we've got a bigger screen. So what can we do with it? And they spent a significant portion of the the product announcement keynote talking about productivity apps, specifically, all the iWork apps, you know, came over Mm -hmm. in in interesting ways. I mean, I I would argue to this day, some of the design paradigms they brought to the iPad with those original iWork apps are, are better than a lot of the third party apps to this day. Uh, in terms of trying to adopt it as, well, what if we put a spreadsheet on a tablet? You know, what would different, you know, what would be different? How would we change the input mechanism, et cetera? And so so they did try and answer the question with the launch. But, you know, in hindsight, there was a long ways to go.
1: In that introduction, Phil Schiller calls numbers the spreadsheet that's cool and fun to use. <laughs> like, okay, Okay, Phil Schiller. But... I think it was important that they started with iWork. iLife came with the iPad 2 a year later. I think they were building the case that you can do work on this. Yes, it's going to be good for email and web browsing and looking at your photos. But if you need to write a document or you need to work on a presentation, which I still think Keenan on the iPad is just, it's so much fun to use. so much fun to put slides together that way. They were building that story that the iPad was a, a creation tool.
0: Well, and to add to Keynote, it's an absolute solution. I mean, it, it it's a little different than the Mac, but you can create a very powerful Keynote presentation just using your iPad. Mm-hmm. What did you uh, launch? Let's go back to launch day. Sure. Um, what did you think about it? You know, how did you get one, and what was your impression the first time you you started using it?
1: Well, David, I have a, a belief that people don't change all that much, and so the story of the iPad for me is the story of my Mac pro. I was interested in it. I wasn't going to do it. I saw one and I bought one on launch day. So, <laughs> so there's that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went to the store. I went late in the day figuring that they, that, that they wouldn't have any left. And they had, they had a handful of, of models left yeah. on the shelf. And so I, I got one and I really wanted in those early days for it to be, like a mobile productivity device. I was I had a job at the time in IT. I was up and around a lot and I had a 15-inch MacBook Pro and I wanted something that I could take OmniFocus and Evernote and my email with me, you know, to a bunch of different facilities that I was supporting. And it did a pretty good job at that and I was I was hesitant at first because of the um the unMac likeness of it that it wasn't my macbook pro but i learned pretty quickly to appreciate that about it if that makes sense
0: no i I get it I, i i was super ready to love the ipad i had um the developer of scrivener i wanted him to make a scrivener version of ipad so bad that i had corresponded with him and he sent me some money so i and he's in england they didn't launch it in england so I bought two of them. I bought one for myself, and I shipped the other one to England because I thought if I get it in his hands, that increases the opportunity. You know, the the fact that he may make an app. It turns out it took him quite a while to make that app. I was going to say, <laughs> didn't <laughs> it ship like
1: two years ago? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, but the uh, either way, you know, I uh, best laid plans and all that. yeah, sure. uh, So I loved it. I, I thought it was a great solution for so many of the things I do. And you know, like I I like the portability of it. You know, I'd wanted an iPad going back to the days of 2001 and Star Trek Next Generation. Honestly, Um, you know, you'd see all these shots of Picard in his office with a stack of iPads, in Mm -hmm. essence. And, And of course, the design they used when they made that show was way bulkier than the actual iPad, the original iPad, not to mention the new ones. And of course, at the time because we were still in an analog world, rather than having one tablet with all his reports on it, he'd have like a stack of 10 tablets, each with a different report on it, which makes no sense for a digital device, you know? But but I wanted that, and uh, to this day, I think a a theme that runs through my relationship with the iPad is delight of use, you know? um, We record this on Monday, and Sunday night is often when I do a lot of my week planning, And just last night, I was sitting on the couch, you know, playing some music, had the fire going in the fireplace, had my iPad and my pencil, and I was planning my OmniFocus tasks and my calendar entries for the week. And that was just my happy place for technology. You know, it doesn't get better than that for me. And the iPad scratched that itch immediately. And it is, even though it is a glorified iPhone, when when it ships, it, um that extra screen real estate gives it options that it didn't have. And for, for me, particularly, it was writing and a PDF review and some other things that would never make sense on an iPhone screen, but make a ton of sense on an iPad screen. So I initially loved the device, but also initially started banging my head into its limits. I, I took a deal from um, Wiley Press at the time to write the iPad at work book. And so I did the original Vitici. You know, I I used the iPad almost exclusively in that first year to write mm-hmm. that book, and um, and so I very quickly, found, you know, I I used to have to plug it into my iP- to my Mac to get documents on it and just like all kinds of crazy stuff when the thing first shipped. So there were limitations, but the delight was there from day one for me.
1: I'm looking at that book listing on Amazon, and boy, look at that! <laughs> look at that cover. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that was my home screen at the time. I mean, I used my home screen for the cover of the book. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Another interesting point about the iPad was the initial success of the iPad, where the iPhone came on with a slow boil. I mean, with the original iPhone, you know, it had the high price compared to other phones at the time. It was out of contract, in essence. And it took Apple kind of a while to get the deals and get all the carriers on board. So the iPhone, if you look at the iPhone sales, it's definitely a hockey stick, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't start particularly fast where the iPad out of the gate was a big deal. You know, um, I guess you, uh, Stephen found in the research, 15 million iPads in the first nine months. That's a lot of iPads.
1: It is a ton of iPads. At the time, it was like the fastest selling consumer electronic device of all time, like outselling the Xbox, the PlayStation. It, It was unbelievable and i think for exactly the reason that you stated i think for a lot of people this may have been their first ios device you know if they hadn't gotten an ipod touch which is also very popular during this time frame because the the original couple of iphones weren't for sale in many countries really yeah and you were you know married to at&t here in the states so i think a lot of people the ipad may have been their first or second device with this operating system on it and very clearly it was meeting, you know, some sort of market need that that people had. And you know, the iPad has had up and down sales over the years. We're going to talk about the current state of the iPad. And I think they've pretty much righted the ship, but it really came out of the gate. I think way I think Apple as good as Apple is at predicting things, I think they were a little surprised at how fast this took off.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting though, because At the time the iPad was going gangbusters, Apple had switched. I mean, and you and I both kind of know people inside, and we've heard the stories of as soon as the iPhone became a viable product, Apple largely became the iPhone company,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and they were putting all of the effort into the iPhone because just like you said, there were countries and carriers out there that just didn't have the product for sale and they wanted to advance that product as much as they could because, you know, the profit off the iPhone was massive. And it's, you know, I think that was the right decision. Everybody, almost everybody has a digital phone, you know, iPhone-like phone in their pocket. Not everybody's going to want an iPad or a tablet device. So they were, even though the iPad had this initial success, Apple at the time was very much... An iPad, comp- an iPhone company, and they continued to be until very recently, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. The the services and other things have caught up, but it it led to like this interesting cycle where Apple would focus on the iPhone, and the iPad and Mac would kind of get attention at various times. And, and clearly, you know, three or four years before this, the Mac was the only thing, and then the iPod, and and now Apple all of a sudden had a lot of products on their hands. And there's this really interesting event called Back to the Mac where they introduced like the good MacBook Air and I think OS X Lion. But the way that was framed was there's all this great stuff about the iPad. It's light. It's it's really fast because of solid state storage, great battery life. What if we took lessons we learned from the iPad hardware and put them in the Mac? What if we took lessons from ipad software and put them in mac os 10 which led to lion and mountain lion which aren't my favorite releases but very clearly apple was trying to have this these ideas these concepts on the ipad benefit their other devices and we i think we continue to see that today where a, a you know if apple releases a feature probably nine times out of ten it's on the mac and iphone and ipad within a year or so of each other, if not at the same time, because now they're an ecosystem company. But once the iPad got big and the iPhone got even bigger, they had to sort of begin to move in that direction. And we see that in the early years of the iPad.
0: Yeah. I mean, that back to the Mac event, I thought was kind of an admission. Like if you say I'm going back to the Mac, that means I left the Mac, right? You Uh don't go back to the Mac unless you leave the Mac. And that was true for the iPad too, in my opinion, I, you know, the iPhone, if you looked at the year over year growth of the iPhone for like the first, I don't know, eight to 10 years of its existence, it's like a rocket ship every year that it's like multiple hundreds of percentage points in increase in revenue and sales and units and everything. And the iPhone was taking over the world and Apple was doing everything it can just to get that product updated and shipped every year. So they could just, you know, fill their dump trucks with with $1,000 bills. And that was all they were doing. And I feel like a lot of products suffered. The Mac and the iPad included. I mean, the iPad, the iPad got to go along for the ride to a certain extent because it had the shared operating system. But iPad-specific features really were not taken seriously until the very recent history. So, you know, even though the iPad had this big, success out of the gate. It really never had the focus of Apple at the beginning. The iPhone was always the focus. And I think that explains one of the reasons why the iPad has had this weird lifespan where started, started hot kind of got cold for a while. And now it seems to be getting hot again. And now that Apple has got the, the iPhone in every market that it can reach, you know, short of finding a colony on Mars, (laughs) um, you know, they suddenly realize, Hey guys, we got to make money on some other stuff now. And one of the easiest things to do is look at your existing product line and, and now we have Mac pros and now we have better MacBooks, And now the iPad operating system is getting better. I feel like, and I, this sounds like a criticism. I don't know how I would have handled it any differently, but you know, Apple has, has finally got enough uh, attention to go around to include the iPad and the Mac again. And, uh, and that's one of the, I think, themes coming out of this series that we're doing on these um, state of the devices.
1: I think so too. And I agree with you that I don't know how I would handle it any differently. Like Apple had to grab the iPhone bull by the horns or it wouldn't be the company it is today, right? Any any executive, any CEO who didn't do what they did, I mean, the shareholders would be you know marching around their house at night. So they they did what they had to do. It may have taken more time for those of us who are in the Mac or iPad camp to kind of get back to where we are, but we're, like I said, we're seeing that now. And I think on the whole, Apple has a much better, more balanced approach these days than they did even just a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah, you say "bull by the horns." I, I'm thinking more like "hold on to the tail of the tiger." Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, You're 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 just hanging on to the very the very tip of it, trying to claw your way on.
0: Yeah. So, uh, but either way. Uh, The iPad has had an interesting history. It started out with a success. It did feel like it wasn't given as much love and attention as a lot of us would have liked it to have received. But, you know, today's a different day. And uh, after this, let's talk about the hardware. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by FreshBooks. Go to freshbooks.com slash MPU to get a free 30-day trial and make your online invoicing so much easier. Hey, freelancers, do you want to save 192 hours? Our friends at FreshBooks can help you do just that with their super simple cloud accounting software. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people, myself included, to deal with their paperwork. Um, FreshBooks has got always improving. You know, And they've got a couple new features I want to talk about. The one is the new notification center. It's like your personal assistant. You'll always know what's changing your business since you last logged in and what needs to be dealt with pronto. FreshBooks auto- also automates late payment email reminders. So you can spend less time chasing payments and more time working your magic. I am terrible about late payment reminders. People, I just forget to look at it and then I feel weird about sending them. By letting the computer do it for me, I can hassle those people that owe me money and largely it works and I don't have to deal with it. It's just great. Um, so what the reason I got fresh in my life is because with the max Sparky stuff, whenever I did something for someone else, I would forget to put the invoice out or I would not have an easy way for them to pay me. When I got fresh books, it just solved all those problems for me. Uh, when you send a fresh invoice to someone, they can pay right in the return email and like I said earlier, if they don't make the payment, it can send a reminder for you. Um, I lost money because I was slow in getting invoices out. It's that simple. Uh, the FreshBooks subscription for me paid for itself with probably the first invoice I sent. Since then, I've sent out thousands of dollars of invoices through FreshBooks, and I've just never had a problem. Now, if you're listening to this and you're not using FreshBooks yet, now's the time to try. FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial to listeners of the Mac Power users. There's no credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash MPU and enter Mac Power users in the how did you hear about us section so they know you are a Mac Power user and you get those free 30 days. We thank FreshBooks for their support of this show and uh, keeping me in the black. Once again, freshbooks.com slash MPU and let them know you heard about it at Mac Power Users.
1: So let's get into iPad hardware as it stands today. There's a lot of history. We're going <laughs> to basically skip over all of that, I think.
0: Yeah, let's just jump to where we are.
1: Yeah, there is uh, there are a lot of iPads, but I think as we walk through this, the layout of the family and kind of the different products, I think they all make sense. I think they all fit well together. Um, you want to start? By talking about the iPad Pro, the
0: beloved, my beloved That's iPad right. Pro. Yeah, they they uh, brought out this new iPad Pro over a year ago now. It, it's a um, it's a new industrial design, and it is my favorite shipping Apple design. It's very reminiscent for me of the iPhone four with the kind of steel band around the edge, and um, it's just a great looking device. It's easy to hold. It's got those squared off edges. It feels, I don't know, it just feels nice. Um, I want to say it almost feels like rich, but I don't, that's kind of probably the wrong word. But um, when you hold this device into in your hand, you know you've got a powerful computing device. Um, the pricing starts to match that. It's a $800, $799 for your entry price, but you're going to spend more than that because you're going to want to add some memory if you're getting a pro device. Um, you want to take advantage of some of the accessories they have for it, like the pencil or the keyboard, you're very easily going to spend that $1,000 we were talking about in the last segment to get yourself started in an iPad Pro.
1: It gets it gets pricey. And I think as we walk through this, I'm not 100% sold that the price is totally worth it, unless you really need USB-C, which is iPad Pro only, at least at least for now at this recording, because the other models are pretty dang good for for most people's needs
0: yeah i think in terms of actual processing power the ipad pro is is significantly more powerful but there's very little software to let you see a difference in processing power between the ipad which is half the price of the ipad pro and the ipad pro
1: mm-hmm. yeah i mean looking at the compare models page The iPad Pro has the A12X, as we currently record this, and the iPad Air has the A12. So like it's better on the GPU side. But again, like I don't know how many people are using apps, like you said, that really push it. There are clearly at the higher end things that if you need more than 256 gigabytes of space, you're stuck with an iPad Pro. If you want a 12.9-inch screen, you're stuck with the iPad Pro. But I think for people who just want an iPad as a... Secondary device is not necessarily going to be their, their mobile computer for everything. I think the iPad, but especially the iPad air are probably better value.
0: Yeah. um, Some other differences are the iPad or the, or the Apple pencil. The second generation one Mm -hmm. works with the iPad pro. Uh, It is significantly better than the first generation Apple pencil. Um, So if you do a lot of work with the pencil, that helps, Um, uh, you know, You're going to have to make your own decision, but you're paying probably twice as much to get into an iPad Pro over an iPad. But it's also a significant improvement, I think, just in overall design. And I I do think you're going to get a a lot longer out of an iPad Pro. Although, you know, as I say that, I'm not sure that's even true because they have the same processor now.
1: Yeah. So let's get into the, the iPad versus the iPad Air. This is a pretty... New development: The iPad Air was a thing, and it went away, and now it's back. So the the baseline, just iPad, no modifier, starts at three hundred twenty nine dollars for a thirty two gigabyte model, four twenty nine for one hundred twenty eight, which is the max for the regular iPad. It this used to be the nine point seven inch screen. For the first time, we don't have a nine point seven inch iPad. This has gotten a little bit bigger at ten point two inches. Yeah. But to hit that price point, it lacks a lot of stuff, or it has older things. So it has the A10 Fusion processor, which is a couple of years old now. It has a pretty sad front-facing camera. It has the first-generation Touch ID. Now it does support the pencil and the smart keyboard, but the first-generation pencil, the one that, you know, uh, same thing as the iPad Air, it charges over Lightning in the port, which is a little funny. But for three twenty-nine, this is I think a a pretty good buy. You know, I think some people would look at this and say, this is really only for students or something like that. And that may be true, but if you want an iPad for, you know, mostly content consumption stuff and you don't really need a, t- a lot of space, then the iPad could be a pretty good deal for three twenty nine or four twenty nine. Um, but the iPad Air, I think, is kind of the sweet spot right now.
0: I you know, I would like to uh as an experiment at some point, I have to find somebody that has one I can borrow. I would like to take the 329 iPad and just use it for a month mm-hmm. and find out if there's anything that I do with my current iPad Pro that I cannot do with this iPad. And my guess is there wouldn't be that many things where I ran into trouble. Probably not. I mean, I uh, you know we all have our... Our own sicknesses and things we we blow money on. For me, it's Apple products. It'd just be very hard for me not to own the iPad Pro. <laughs> but the uh, but if I had to be honest, I, I do think the iPad Air and the iPad are very close in terms of actual capacity for mm-hmm. the work I do.
1: Yeah, so the iPad Air has a ten point five inch screen, so it's it's a little bit bigger, but the screen is way nicer. So it's fully laminated. It has the anti-reflective coating. It supports True Tone and the P3 wide color. Side-by-side, side, the screen is really where you see the price difference. But under the hood, it's faster. It's got the A12. It goes up to 256 gigabytes of storage. It has a much better front-facing camera and second-gen Touch ID. So that I think in the store, side-by-side, side, the sizes don't really tell the whole story. And for a while, I was a little confused about why both existed. And then I saw them in the store as how yeah. much better the display is on the iPad Air and like oh gosh that's that's a big jump and if you're looking at needing more space you know yeah the iPad Air it, it goes from 499 to 649 so it's it's it is you know almost twice as expensive as the iPad bottom to top but i think you get a lot more for your money like i said this i think is kind of the sweet spot if you want to use the iPad for for work stuff you want to be productive on it but you don't want to spend the money on an iPad pro you're getting a lot of the same experience with the iPad air now. I mean, this is a pretty close to the old 10.5 inch iPad pro actually that was for sale just a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah. Agreed. I feel like the entry level iPad often is something that schools will buy hundreds of, or a company may buy for their employees. My kids have them. (laughs) Yeah. And, And that's a great also, parents will buy as a Christmas present for their kids. I mean, Get an entry, you know, because, you know, kids are going to beat the heck out of it. So get the entry level iPad, get the biggest case you can find and stick it in there and you're probably OK uh, uh, for people that want to work on it. I, I would probably argue to spend the extra hundred and seventy dollars or so to get to the iPad Air uh, it definitely gives you more longevity with the device because the A10 to the I tw- A12 is a significant step up. But, you know, it still has pencil support, although it's not the second generation pencil, still has keyboard support. You know, it's it still does most of the things an iPad can do.
1: Yeah, I think I think it is really the sort of the one to get uh, unless you're, yeah. you find yourself really drawn to something else. And I think that's where the iPad mini fits in for people who do want something smaller. And this was an iPad that sat for a long time without being updated. But yeah. It is effectively a smaller iPad Air, so it has all the same specs. The A12 has a smaller 7.9-inch screen, but it's True Tone, P3 wide color, full lamination, second-gen Touch ID. It supports the pencil, but no smart keyboard. I mean, a keyboard the width of the iPad Mini would be just awful, I think. Yeah. So I think that's why they don't do it. But you can pair it with a Bluetooth keyboard.
0: There there are third-party ones out there, and they are awful. Mm -hmm.
1: but the ipad mini is is really solid i've got one of these in the house and the size really isn't for me because my phone is not that much smaller than it but i think there are people who really like the ipad mini and the where i see it fit in is with the pencil support and you just want like an ipad you can stick in your pocket and sketch or draw or do art anywhere the ipad mini is like I mean, it's the size of a, of a small notebook, right? It's it, I think that's really compelling. And I think clearly Apple thinks so too, because this, this got an update and, you know, did not it down the vine like a lot of people thought it would.
0: Yeah. I actually have one. It's um not this generation. It's at least two generations old. It was my daughter's and I found it in her room uh, completely dead, you know? Mm-hmm. And I said, when's the last time you used it? She she couldn't remember. So I, I took it and put on like some of my reading apps and I keep it in my bedside table. And I, it's, you know, so I've got OmniFocus email and the ability to read a book in my bedside table with this disposable iPad mini. Now, one thing I would say about it is typing on the keyboard on the iPad mini is probably the best type on the keyboard experience for me. If you hold it vertically and just use your thumbs Mm -hmm. the interest and i love this new generation ipad mini because that's how i got my my smaller ipad pro (laughs) Uh, a listener had bought the ipad pro 11 inch for his wife who really wanted something she could put in her purse and you know money was exchanged and there we go but the um we didn't talk about that in the ipad pro there's two different sizes and there i think this is a very distinct difference between the 11 and the 12.9 or i guess you'd call 13 inch ipad pro now you are currently using the smaller one, right?
1: Yeah, I'm on the the 11-inch. I've had a 12 in the past and the size just just wasn't for me. I mean, this is a secondary device to my Mac, so I don't really um I don't feel like the bigger screen unlocks like better productivity for me. I know that it does for some people. I know Jason Snell and like Mike and Federico, those guys who are really iPad centric really like the 12.9-inch. For me, it's just a little big.
0: Yeah. I think that's, if you wanted to replace a laptop, the the bigger one gives you a definite advantages in multitasking. And if you're looking at it as something not as a laptop replacement, I think the smaller one is probably the way to go. But uh, I, I just feel like overall, this whole product line, this is the best product line Apple has in terms of clear power and price delineation throughout the line. And, you know, if you want a small iPad, they've got the mini. If you want the best ipad money can buy you've got the ipad pro in fact i remember when the original $500 ipad came out i was thinking this is great but what if i could spend $999 how much better would the screen get <laughs> you know how much more would it do and now they've got an answer to that question you know you can spend extra money and you do get additional features i mean it's not just extra money at apple it's a better design it's a better pencil there there's a lot to like about the ipad pro um, but if you don't want to do that, there is an answer for you. Or if you want to buy 10 of them, uh, there's an answer for you as well. And I feel like of all Apple's products, this is the product line where they've got that nailed down the
1: best. I agree. I think they've really gotten it in a good state where no matter what you want to spend or what you want to use it for, there's an iPad for you.
0: I also like the naming. I like that, you know, like unlike the iPhone where you've got, you know, some integer at the end of the iPhone name every mm-hmm. year, uh, just iPad pro. And like, I'm sure we'll get a new iPad pro at some point in 2020. It's not going to become the iPad pro seven or the iPad pro 2020, it's just the iPad pro. And that's fine. Um, I, 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 I like that naming better.
1: I do too. The iPhone names continue to spiral out of control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: What about accessories? Uh we, we mentioned the Apple pencil, but we didn't really go to it in great detail.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those devices that I mean, I've got one. It's not something that I use a ton. I don't really do a lot of input with the pencil, but it is nice to have something to if you know, if you're in keynote or, or even some games, like to have a, a more fine uh input device. And of course if you draw or sketch or handwrite on it, it's a total game changer you're right. The second gen pixel is way better than the first. It magnetically clips at the side of the iPad. You can tap it and change between modes and apps like notes and, and good notes. And others have built that, that functionality into their apps and let you customize it and all of those things. And I think that it is solid. I think that there are people who are really into it, who still want more from it, you know, better pressure sensitivity, more buttons, different options. But for someone like me who, you know, I'm not using it a ton, like it, it's it's great. I don't personally want any more out of it. But at the same time, like if I lost my pencil, I'm not sure I would run out tomorrow and replace it either.
0: Yeah. See, I use mine every day because I use it to control applications. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I find that better than finger touches. You know, I hope Steve Jobs is not rolling over in his grave, but I do. Um, I also use it like a lot of my day job involves. Uh, reviewing documents and a lot of times they're PDFs or eventually I turn them into PDFs. There's some great PDF applications on the iPad where you can go through and highlight and markup and the Apple pencil plus the iPad is just a game changer for that part of my job. So I, I do that every day. Um, but I think I'm in a small minority. I think if we had numbers, and I'm sure Apple will never share this. Um, a lot of iPads never have, never touch an Apple pencil.
1: I think that's probably right. I think the keyboard is probably more popular. I yeah. know that that I basically keep my iPad either in the Smart Keyboard Folio or the Bridge Keyboard, just depending on what I'm doing. And both are great. I think Apple's keyboard is pretty good. I mean the the whole flip it around thing. Like you just have to kind of learn the motion it takes, but. I like the design. The key travel, while I wish for more, is totally fine. And I don't really have any big complaints about it on my 11-inch iPad Pro. You
0: know, it protects the screen. It doesn't take up a lot of space. And it's a reliable keyboard. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've been using this one on this uh, 11-inch iPad on which I type very many words. And, you know, the space bar still works. All of the stuff we talked about with the, you know... The MacBook keyboard, none of that is a problem with the iPad keyboard. Now, do you know what the technology is on the keys on the on the smart keyboard?
1: It is the it's the butterfly keyboard from the MacBook line, but I think the difference is that structurally, where the keys are held together with the key frames on the notebooks, the cloth yeah. cover provides the structure, and of course, it protects them from debris ingress which is you know yeah. rumored to be a big problem on the butterflies why they break so yeah i'm same with you i've never had a keyboard i have never had a key fail i've had smart keyboards act weird and my sort of pro tip here is if you use an ipad pro smart keyboard and you're getting lags or it's not super responsive clean the contacts on the smart connector those little dots on the spine of the ipad because if you get some gunk in there the ipad keyboard may not be recognized at all or or appropriately. And so that can really clean things up and make things uh, work a lot better.
0: So that's really, I thought that was the case that there were these, uh, that they were the butterflies. And isn't that amazing that if you just cover up the butterflies, which is they're actually okay and manageable.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Just, uh, just cover the top of the MacBooks with fabric and everything will, will be fine.
0: Well, it is an interesting point. If you've got someone in your life that has one, and you want to help protect it, it. As much as I hate those membranes, mm-hmm. this may be a good use for a membrane. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I have, uh, totally unrelated, we've got some kids ch- transitioning schools in the next year, and and it's time to get some laptops. Man, I really hope the MacBook Air gets a new keyboard this year. Not just for the show. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway yeah so that that's it so apple has a good keyboard uh they just added with ios 13 mouse support and it's an accessibility feature the implementation isn't great and it's kind of like hacky to set it up but yes you can attach a mouse to your ipad now and uh, that's something that i think apple's resisted for too long i mean who cares if people want to let them use it it doesn't, you know. Not everybody has to use it. I I don't use it very often. Occasionally, I will do it for a screencast to show exactly what I'm pointing at. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: in my day to day use, I don't need it. But but they've they've dipped their toe in it. I my only request would be that now that you've done it, just make it so much, make it easier, make it a feature instead of an accessibility feature. Sure. So it's not so you know wonky to get it turned on and and all that. Third party accessories. The iPhone has this rich assortment of third-party accessories. I mean, you want an infrared camera for your iPhone, there's one out there, you know. Um, the iPad has never really enjoyed that rich third-party accessory market. Um, when we were working on the show outline, I found tons of keyboards. Well, actually, not even tons of keyboards. I found some good keyboards. And, of course, it will work with any Bluetooth keyboard. So if you've got a big clicky keyboard and you want to use it with your iPad, you can. Um, and there was a you know, a fraction of the cases available for the iPad that there are for the iPhone. You know, they've got the kid case, you know, made of foam rubber, and they've got the the one that covers the whole iPad and the one that covers half the iPad and a few flavors of that, but that's about it. And there's some industry-specific gear. The one that stood out for me was the iographer. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's like a plastic device that you clip an iPad into, and it's got a whole bunch of tripod mount screws on it. So you can put it on a tripod and attach a microphone and Chuck Joiner uses one of these to shoot video when he goes to like, uh, you know, WWDC, he puts it on a tripod and it's like a professional camera rig by the time he's got it all, you know, wired up, but that's very specific to people that want to shoot video, but there's just really not that many interesting accessories out there for the iPad.
1: I've always kind of wondered why that is. And maybe just that the phone is such a more personal device. So people want to personalize it. And, and maybe it's that the, for most people, Apple's first party stuff just works well enough, right? The smart keyboard is really good. And so why would you look elsewhere? I kind of think it's a combination of, of those factors. And I I do wonder too, how many iPads are bought and then never leave the home, right? They're just, they're in the house all the time. They don't, they don't get taken out. And so maybe in that sort of deal. You're fine with a really simple cover and don't need something more robust while your iPhone goes with you everywhere. And you may want something like an OtterBox or some big beefy thing to keep it from getting smashed.
0: I know in my own use, I am constantly using the naked iPad. You know, I was talking about my Sunday night routine earlier in the show and there was nothing in my iPad was just outside because I pull that smart keyboard case off it all the time. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm not using it, I just take it off and I've got the iPad and the pencil. And, uh, there's some part of my lizard brain that just loves the lightness and, you know, portability of the device as it is.
1: Yeah. I do the same thing. I pull it out of that keyboard folio and just use it as it is all the time with the current iPad pro. It's so thin. It's, it's a very nice, very nice setup.
0: A couple third party accessories of no, or actually one is the bridge keyboard. It comes up on our show all the time. Uh, Steven uses one quite often. I have one for my larger iPad that I use, and um, I think that if you want a keyboard that makes it feel like a MacBook, the Bridge keyboard is probably the best solution.
1: I think, yeah, totally agreed.
0: The other thing uh, you have to mention with third-party accessories is the disappointing Smart Connector.
1: Yeah, it's really just used for the the Smart Keyboard. There's like one Logitech charging base that is really bad. I don't even know if it's for sale anymore. Um, called the Logitech base that (laughs) I'll link a review to it. It was not a good product. I don't know if it's a bandwidth issue across the connector or, or what, but especially now in the world of USB-C coming to the iPad pro, I don't see the smart connector ever being used for anything good past Apple's own keyboard.
0: Yeah. Agreed.
1: Poor smart connector.
0: (laughs) That Logitech thing. That is, I actually bought one. I, it was, I would say the dumbest thing I've ever bought (laughs) is an Apple enthusiast. It was that connector. I had it on my night table for years and it would charge the iPad overnight and you could just lift it out of it. It was kind of before wireless charging. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it was like, I spent a hundred dollars for a piece of bent metal.
1: (laughs) I don't hey, know what else to say. If you buy a pro display XDR, you'll spend $1,000 on a piece of bit metal. So there you go. There you go. Got that going for you. This episode of Mac power users is brought to you by text expander from our friends at smile. Visit textexpandercom slash podcast to learn more and to get 20% off your first year. Text expander lets you save time and boost your productivity. With Text Expander, you make snippets for things that you type repetitively, and you can use them anywhere. If you're in a word processor, email, web app, Slack, iMessage, Tweetbot, online forms, wherever you are entering text on your device, Text Expander can be there with you, making everything more efficient. You can customize your snippets with a whole bunch of stuff. You can do fill ins, pop up fields, you can select from menus, it can do all this automatic data. Uh, creation. So I have a bunch that insert the date and time for whatever moment it is that I'm typing my snippet. It's really fantastic. They have a bunch of free webinars over on their website, including one by our very own David Sparks. And there's going to be one coming in March uh, from the people over at Help Scout to kind of explore using Text Expander uh, with teams and to uh, boost productivity across people working together. That's a huge thing for us at Relay. We have shared snippets between myself, my business partner, and our sales manager. Common text that we send to sponsors or to people we work with, we just put it in Text Expander so we know that we're going to be consistent. And if we need to change some language, one of us can update it and the others of us get it automatically. Text Expander is available for macOS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. Show listeners will get 20% off their first year. By going to textexpander.com slash podcast. That's textexpander.com/slash podcast to learn more.
0: So let's talk about the state of the iPad operating system. And uh, I say that with a little bit of delight because there is now an iPad operating system. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last year at WWC, Apple announced iPad OS as opposed to iOS. You know, just a little history. It was usually it was originally an iPhone OS. And then they changed it to iOS as they were leading up to the iPad, and it's been running the same operating system, although it was kind of internally forked. There were features on devices that didn't make it between the iPad and the iPhone. Mm -hmm. But last year they announced, no, we have a separate thing now called iPadOS. And as an iPad enthusiast, that makes me happy because it means that now every year when they get up to talk about the updates to the various operating systems, the iPad is mandatorily a part of the conversation.
1: It's not a move that I saw coming honestly, uh, I could tell you I was surprised by this at WWC this year and I think it does mean exactly what you say it is that the iPad is now its own it's its own thing where in the past it was always tied to the iPhone. It wasn't really going to get a major feature that the iPad or that the iPhone, excuse me, wasn't going to get. And that is exciting because the iPad is different from the phone and Apple with this move I think is finally sig- signaling to people that this is going to be continue to be its own platform distinct from the other things that we do. And that's as it should be. The iPad deserves to be its own its own independent platform. Yes, it shares a lot under the hood with the iPhone, but I think over time, it will continue to drift apart in terms of how things work and how, even how developers can tackle problems on the iPad in different ways in the iPhone. And that's really exciting.
0: I mean, we're very early in this fork, but I think as we go back to the state of the iPad in future years, I would like to think that this will become more and more distinct as its own operating system. And I think this is an effect of what I was talking about at the first segment of the show about, you know, the iPhone was this rocket ship they were barely holding on. Now the iPhone is stabilized. You know, they've got it in all the markets they can. The design, you know, the feet every year doesn't require an entire rethink. So they have time to work on things like iPad. And during those rocket ship years, the iPad, there'd be years that would go by WWDC and Apple would make no changes to the iPad. Mm Mm-hmm wouldn't even get mentioned in the keynote. And, yeah. um, you know, and it was really sad for those of us that knew there was all this low hanging fruit that the iPad needed that wasn't getting picked. And it feels like now all of a sudden, okay, they've got their own operating system. I would presume that if it has its own operating system, there's at least some people whose permanent job is to work on that operating system. Um, So hopefully, uh, you know, the things we want to see get fixed, get fixed faster the new features we want get added faster. Um, this year, You know, as we record this in February, we aren't that far away from June. We'll get a real good indication of what that means uh, when Apple next does its WWDC announcements. But uh, I feel good about it. I think it's it's overall a good thing.
1: The way Apple has talked about the iPad, I should say, has has changed a lot over the years. It was sort of the post-PC device. That was language Steve Jobs used. And then Tim Cook and others talked a lot about this is the future of personal computing. And now I think Apple is willing to say with iPadOS, this is just an alternative. If you want to do your main computing on your iPhone, that's great. If you want to do it on the Mac, that's great. If you want to do it on the iPad, that's great too. And while it seems counterintuitive, I actually think that iPadOS being its own thing is actually good for the longevity of the Mac as well, because it means that the Mac will have something to play off of and and to play against and those are all good things for anyone in the apple ecosystem it shouldn't be that one of apple's main hardware platforms shares a software platform with its smaller sibling it it deserves its own its own os and i have a lot of uh, things i think about what they've done in ipad os 13 but i think overall we will see. We will continue to see these devices grow more distinct from each other as time goes on.
0: Yeah, agreed. I mean, like I said, we're we're kind of early in the fork. But you know, to think about the iPad, I, I think Apple says, "Yeah, you do what you want. You know, use which whatever of our devices makes sense to you." But also, I think at least traditionally, there have been very clear dividing lines. Um, I have a sister who's not particularly tech savvy. But she is the family Vitici, right? She mm-hmm. doesn't have a Mac. She had a MacBook for years and years. Doesn't use one anymore. She has an iPad. With the iPad, she can do what she wants on the web. She can shop on Amazon. She can manage all of her photos with the Photos app, combined with her phone. And um, you know everything she needs a computer for is done. I mean, the big hangup for her, just you know, to give you an example, was label printing. She wanted to print, you know, labels. And so I figured out how to do that with her iPad for her. and she was done, and that was years ago. So Apple says that type of user, the iPad, can be the laptop replacement, and indeed it is. Uh, Vitticci stretches that because he does much more complex things with an iPad. But, you know, then you hear him talk, and sometimes there is a, a Rube Goldberg element to what he's doing. And so Apple's thinking, okay, you are going to you know produce the next Star Wars movie. You need a Mac Pro. You know we don't see you doing that on an iPad. But it feels to me like now that they're putting more attention to the iPad, they're starting to push the upper limits of what an iPad can do. And changes to the operating system are making it easier to you know to get past those traditional pain points on the iPad. Not all of them. There is still definite room to grow. And and actually, when I put this in the outline about a segment on the operating system. I was thinking a lot of listeners are going to think I'm just going to unload on them. I don't feel particularly motivated to unload because I feel like they're trying to make it better and they are making progress. Whereas they weren't in years past.
1: I may mean, just sat for such a long time or they would do yeah. something minor every couple of years. It's frustrating.
0: Yeah. So what are the strong points? You know, where is the iPad OS working as it is right now?
1: I think one of the primary things for a lot of people is that it is pretty hard to break ios that even with the mac you can get into trouble if you're like goofing around in the wrong place in finder or you can install something at login that does weird things and the ipad through its simplicity empowers people and encourages them to install things and try things because you've got guardrails up you really it's really hard to get an iPad into a position where it's not doing what it's supposed to do because of something you did as a user. And that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, like I'm thinking about my my iPad sister. I remember years ago her MacBook stopped working and I went down there and after a lot of work I discovered that she had downloaded a bunch of fonts from the internet and had installed some corrupt font files and it was causing troubles all over the computer because it was a corrupt font file you know she would have never figured that out you know the only reason she got out of that mess is because her brother's a nerd right but (laughs) you know the ipad people don't have that problem you know you you just there are enough guardrails in the operating system that you don't stumble into trouble like that and when you you know it just you know it just solves that problem and um, I do think that's a, a real benefit of the iPad. Another one to me, honestly, is it's still delightful. I mean, they have in their increasing complexity of the device, they haven't killed that joy you get from sitting on the couch with an iPad and getting some work done. At least for me.
1: No, I, I agree, and even though it's not my primary computing device, there are times where I pick it up to do something like it, like the thinness and lightness and portability just strike me especially as someone who has a big MacBook Pro. It's like, this thing is just so portable and conceptually it's still so much fun that it's just a sheet of glass that becomes whatever you want it to become. That magic hasn't worn off in the 10 years since. There's complexity on top of that, but if you boil it away or if you're someone like, you know, my dad is iPad only, but he's basically iPad only one app at a time. In fact, I think multitasking is off on his iPad, and yeah. for him, it becomes a web browser or an email client or YouTube or whatever he's doing. And that's fantastic for tons and tons of people out there.
0: Yeah. It's like the the um the non like super power users, it's easier to use than a Mac. Yeah. Okay. For power users, the people that get beyond a certain threshold where you start to do things that are more complex, it's harder than the Mac. Agreed. And that's that's the weird thing about the iPad. So people say, well, why, why would you say this is too complex or this isn't complex? And if it does everything I want, it's super easy. And that's the, the balance Apple has to strike going forward with this new iPad OS is they have to keep that low threshold there, that low easy threshold there, but they also have to solve the problem at the upper end without screwing up things at the lower end. You know, I, I don't envy them. I don't think this is an easy problem, but it needs to be solved. Another thing I would say is a, a high point of the uh the ipad is the automation um they've made so much progress with ios automation oh (laughs) i forgot about that uh you know it's it's better than apple script because it's easier to use Mm -hmm. it's also worse than apple script because um you know there's there's a bunch of guardrails on it that you can't do you know, when when it came to the Mac, they created a thing called Apple events. So everything your Mac does gets recorded as an Apple event, which makes it subject to automation. So that's the reason why Apple script can go so deep. And you can do so much with automation on the Mac. When they created iOS, they had an opportunity to add Apple events to iOS as well. And they chose not to, you know. Uh, so iOS automation is great to the extent that you can use automation, but it doesn't go as deep as Apple events. I think the the perfect world would be kind of the simplicity of iOS automation with the ability, the addressability of something like Apple events on iOS. So they don't really have that. But for most people, like we, I can create a, a shortcut for, you know, going back to my iPad sister that, that solves a problem for her, where it gets saved as an icon on her home screen and she just presses it. She has no idea what's going on with the automation, but it solves the problem for her. And I've done that on a few occasions. So um, I think automation is is pretty uh, incredible too as a strong point on the iPad OS.
1: Well, I think the automation story really follows what you said a second ago that it for a certain type of user, it's easier than the Mac, but then for other types of users, it's harder or worse than the Mac. The iPad just has this interesting relationship with that. I want to see the the automation on the iPad in particular become broader. I think my big complaint about it is that shortcuts, even though it's got its hooks in more places than ever, it still feels really siloed. Really quickly, you you hit you hit something you want to do, and it's just hands off. Where with yeah. AppleScript or the command line on the Mac, you can pretty much do anything. And there's pros and cons to that. And maybe Apple needs some sort of system so users can <laughs> tell it what, uh, I don't know how how it works out, but I do hope that they continue to push that forward because a, a general computing device is one that people can automate. That's, I think, one of the definitions for general computing.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, I think without Apple events or some Apple events like mechanism on iOS and iPadOS, you're never going to get where it is on the back. I think you almost have to accept that. Um, people are taking steps. The Omni group is making its own flavor of JavaScript so you can entirely automate their applications. And they're, I believe they're making it open source to the extent other developers can tie in. And and I think that that's their, their vision. JavaScript, because you can use it on the Mac and the iOS devices, you don't have to take two different kinds of automation. So that's mm-hmm. one solution. Apple has made it possible for app developers to make their own automation hooks with shortcuts now, which is a massive improvement, but then it requires the developer to make that trigger. You know? Right. Uh, so, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know we're ever going to get where we are on the Mac with iOS, but but there are steps, and I would I would still consider this a strong point. Um, weak points for iPad OS. Um, I guess we should address the multitasking <laughs> troubles. I don't know. It seems like the internet has suddenly realized that multitasking is not good on the iPad.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not. Sure. This has really been in the news the last couple of weeks as we record this, and it made me a little hesitant to do this episode today. But I think we can speak into it. For, from my perspective, I like the I like the power that multitasking on iPad OS gives me, but I dislike a lot about how it's implemented. And I think critically, it's confusing in places. And I think you can get an iPad into a state where you're not quite sure how to get that app from here to there, or or maybe you've had this too, where someone gets in touch, like I have two or three iPad apps on the screen I can't get rid of one of them. I don't pretend to know what the solution is. I'm going to put a link in the, in the show notes to an article on Mac stories that really, I think provides a lot of context for this, but I think they've got just, they've got to continue improving it if they want the iPad to be a real multitasking machine.
0: Well, they're currently on attempt number two. The first attempt was you would have the right screen and you would, you would scroll through apps in the right screen. They didn't have a search bar. It was the first attempt. wasn't very good. It was
1: bad. Yeah. <laughs> the
0: The second attempt involves a lot of dragging, but it requires precision. the The problem I have with current multitasking is I know how the rules work, mm-hmm. and I know what I need to do, and still I quite often am and um, am and unable to do it because I pulled the app just a few millimeters too far and it did something other than what i wanted it to do and it feels like um i don't know, remember that that game of operation you know yeah, when yeah. you're a kid and if you just did it wrong you pull out like the wishbone and it would buzz it feels like that when i'm trying to multitask and it should be so much easier like on the mac using keyboard shortcuts and or your mouse or whatever. It's very easy to move things around and have absolute precision and absolute confidence. It's going to end up where you want it. And that, that just isn't on the iPad yet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, the backstories article, I believe it's the one by Ryan where he, he suggests putting a contextual menu you know, just like when you click on the little green button on a Mac app, starting with Catalina, it'll say, do you want to put this on the left side of the screen or the right side of the screen? Uh, He's saying, why don't we just have that as a contextual selection on the icon, which makes sense. Uh, But, uh, you know, I don't know. I I feel like Apple needs to figure that out if they're going to make multitasking work. And to me, the biggest complaint is, I know how it works, and I still can't get it to work half the time. So, <laughs> you know, that's not good, you know, because I'm a guy who makes a podcast about this stuff, and I think about it all the time. I'm, I'm guessing most people aren't going to give it as much effort as I do. There is a, a ray of sunshine in the current multitasking system, though, and I would argue that that is slide over. Um, the slide over concept is you just swipe from the right or the left side of the screen, you, you swipe in, and it brings like a floating app palette, And I find that works much more consistently for me. And um, like I put, just as someone who uses the iPad quite often, like I've got OmniFocus there, I've got my calendar in there, I've got like my billing uh, website in there so I can add billing entries. And you slide it in, you do what you need, you slide it off the screen, and rarely does it not do what I expect it to do. So I feel like the slide over is a more successful implementation than the split screen, multi-screen stuff. And another thing, I because I've I listened to um, ATP talk about this and I've read a couple of the articles at Maxworks. The one thing I haven't heard anybody say, maybe somebody did cover it, is multitasking doesn't work for apps on the home screen. Like if you want to like drag an app from the dock to split the screens, you can do that. But if it's on your home screen, it really doesn't work. It's just like, come on, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: just, well, you see, just, you see, screenshots of people who have stuffed everything in their iPad doc to get around that. Well, I I'm one of them. I have done that, you know, because like there's a bunch
0: of folders in my iPad doc that have apps in them that I want to use for multitasking because that's the only way I can get to them. And it just feels to me like, you know like they they came up with the interface on a day that like somebody was retiring <laughs> and they're like we really got to get to Jim's retirement party okay this is good enough you know i mm-hmm. i they they need to like go back and and look at that over again and if you multitask on the iPad you don't need me to yammer on anymore you know the problems yeah uh i would also say there's kind of a category of of advanced use problems this category is thankfully getting shorter as the years go by uh, hopefully with the existence of iPad OS that gets shorter, faster um, file management got way better with iOS 13, but it's still rough in areas. And um, like, if you're working with a lot of files, it's, it's still not good enough. Like, and, and tagging like is, is is horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's uh, podcasters will tell you multiple audio streams to multiple apps, you know, on the Mac I can, right now I am recording my voice into two different applications that's all I've got two apps open on my Mac they're both getting a recording so if one goes bad we have a backup that is not possible on my iPad you know it's just not possible you know I could buy hardware and get separate record there's ways I could do it but you know we're back in Rube Goldberg territory you know
1: yeah real quickly
0: and um there's just many scenarios on the Mac that are no brainer power user things that you can do that just are not either not possible on the iPad or only possible with some real complicated stuff. I mean, I was laughing. I was listening to you guys on connected and you don't like a feature in the Twitter app. So you had a user write an application to give you a split screen to fix it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a sign that there's a problem with iPad OS, right? Mm-hmm. That you have to write an app to fix a problem. Anyway. Yeah. There's work to be done. I but I don't want to come off as super negative because I feel like they are making progress. And I get that from Apple's vantage point, there are things that a Mac is just better at and, and things that, that an iPad is better at. You know, I guess we haven't really made that point, but you know, reviewing PDFs is a good example. I will never do that on a Mac unless you really force me to because it's so much better on the ipad and there are things that i, I like all my planning and all my OmniFocus stuff is always done on ipad so there are things that's better at and i guess maybe one of apple's vantage points is well you know you're just not going to be making podcasts with your ipad but we want to you know i want to go to wwdc and not bring a laptop and um
1: Yeah. Apple's challenge here is to balance the simplicity of the iPad for most of its users with the power that some of its users want and desire. And that's hard. And I think that we see in iPad OS 13 attempts at that that work and attempts at that that don't work. And I think that it's, we're still, even though we're 10 years into the iPad, we're still years away from it really settling into what it's going to become. And it's frustrating that it's not moving faster, but now that the iPhone isn't the main part of the company, or not the you know, not the way it was four years ago, I think the iPad only stands to to get better and better with more attention. Agreed. So yeah, yeah. I don't I'm optimistic about the iPad and the future of the iPad, especially iPad OS. Yes, 13 has some things that we don't like, but overall I'm I'm ecstatic that it it has a name, that it has it has its own its own future distinct from iOS, that's, that's great. And I think it's only going to get better.
0: This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by SaneBox. Go to SaneBox.com slash MPU and stop drowning in email today. So what is SaneBox? It's a service you can get that manages your email for you. I have been a SaneBox subscriber for many years and it saves my bacon Every day, Samebox learns what email is important to you and filters out what isn't saving you hours. So imagine you wake up every day and you've got 80 emails in your inbox and you got to go through them, to figure out which ones are just getting you to try and buy a new pair of jeans and which ones are from your boss or your coworkers. And it's actually mission critical. Why should you have to go through and sort that? Samebox will do it for you. With Samebox instead of waking up to 80 or 100 emails, you'll wake up to 5 or 6 in your inbox and it'll only be the most important. Then Samebox takes those additional emails and it sorts it for you. Like it has a box called saying Later. It's stuff that's not super important and stuff you can look at later in a day. Or it's got the same black hole where you can ups- unsubscribe with one click. Um, I've got custom ones I've made, like I've got ones for um, feedback on the shows where people send in feedback. Same box puts it into those folders for me. So when I want to spend time working on show feedback, I can just go to that place and it's there. But that's not the only thing Samebox does. It also has a great snooze feature. So if you want to take an email and say, give this back to me on Monday or give it back to me tomorrow morning, you can put it in there, it disappears out of your inbox and you don't see it until then. And the reminders feature, which is probably my favorite Samebox feature, whenever I send somebody an email and I need a response, I just blind copy it to one week at samebox.com. And if they don't reply to me in a week, I get a reminder. It's just such an easier way to manage keeping track of email commitments when you send things out to other people. You get all that with your SameBox subscription. And because SameBox works out of the cloud, you can use it with virtually any application. As I'm jumping along mail applications, SameBox is always there at my side to protect me. They have various pricing plans starting as low as $4 a month, and you get a 14-day free trial. Now, samebox.com slash MPU is where you go. You get a $25 credit on any plan. MPU listeners love Samebox. They can't get over how many MPU listeners subscribed after they try. That's not because you guys want to show loyalty to us, but we do appreciate loyalty to us. Uh, It's because it's a great service and you get it and you try it and you immediately see the benefit of it. So head over to samebox.com slash MPU, receive a $25 credit and Retain, you know, get your inbox back. Stop drowning in an email. Samebox.com slash MPU.
1: So no platform is better or worse than its third-party ecosystem. And over the years, we've talked a lot about uh, iPad and iOS software here. But specifically, just looking at iPad software, I feel like there's a couple of things to touch on. There, There are countless universal apps, an app that runs both on the iPhone and the iPad. I like that's yeah. basically the default for new apps uh, for the last several years. In fact, out of sort of the the apps that are well-known in our corner of the internet, really Things is the only one that comes to mind that has separate iPhone and iPad versions. Almost everyone is doing universal, um, which is great. It's great that the, the iPhone library software more or less is intact on the iPad, but there are some apps that I think uh, really stand out as sort of iPad-centric or iPad-first.
0: Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about that because I feel like the iPad is a different platform. You've got an available pencil. You've got a bigger screen. How many app developers have taken that on, you know, saying, okay, I've got this different platform. What can I do with it that is unlike something that would really even make sense on an iPhone? And pdf apps are the starting point that was the first app category i fell in love with on the ipad as i explain i use pdfs all the time but there's a subcategory of pdf apps and one that really stands out for me is liquid text and it takes pdfs to a entirely different um kind of frame mind uh, mindset and it's something you could only do digitally like so pdf apps traditionally are you know it's a it's at the digital equivalent of an analog piece of paper you know it puts the pdf on the screen you've got highlighters and different things you can do with it but largely it's the exact same thing you were doing with printed out paper a few years ago but now it's digital liquid text allows you to pinch the document i mean it does a lot but one of the first things it does is it allows you to pinch the document together vertically so Uh, I get a lot of times very long documents. So with liquid text, I can make a few pinches and I can see a clause on page eight and a clause on page 14 right next to each other because you just pinch in between them. It's just a great idea. I mean, something you could never do with a piece of paper, but with a digital device, you can. Uh, You can also drag out like little segments of the document into kind of like a a, a sideboard. So you can have those for later. You can make references to them. it's one of those apps when I got it, I said, yeah, this is it. This is what I want people to do on the iPad is try to think differently about computing paradigms and getting work done and use this platform to make that happen. And, uh, liquid text immediately stood out to me as the first example of this.
1: It's really cool. Cause it, it lets you treat documents in ways that you just can't treat them on other platforms. It's really, it's really cool. Really very powerful.
0: Yeah. Or as the analog version, you know, you can't just things you could never do any other way. And uh I love that. Um Drafts, we had Greg on here recently. Um Drafts is great. It's It started out as an iPhone app. I think it's almost better as an iPad app. If you like to write, it's just a great place to do your writing. It's another app that really takes into consideration the iPad form factor. And then there's a bunch of apps that kind of tie to the pencil really well. Um, the one first stood out to me is GoodNotes, which is just a, it's a digital notebook, but they wrote their own pencil recognition algorithm. And it's very good.
1: Yeah. GoodNotes is my, my app for this. I've got a couple of templates that I can go in and add uh, information to, and it all syncs. And they've got a a Mac app as well. that's based on the iPad app through Catalyst, which is pretty cool. They're one of the few who have done that so far. If you're looking for a notebook app, it, it, it's, it's hard to beat it.
0: They added a new feature recently that allows you to easily scan a document. So if you've got something you want to write on top of or just capture into a GoodNotes notebook, it's just like all of the best scanning apps out there. You just hold the iPad over the document. It automatically finds the, the margins for you and puts a, a good digital copy into your GoodNotes notebook so fast. I use that all the time.
1: Uh, Linea Sketch is another one. There's a lot of sketching and drawing apps on the iPad. This one from the Icon Factory, I really like. It's my favorite because it lets you kind of quickly deal with some of the things that some drawing and sketching apps make more difficult. So it has this feature where if you roughly draw a circle, it snaps to a circle. And and other apps have that, but Linea, I think, does a, a, a really good job at custom shape. So if you draw... You know, something that's not a square or rectangle and is kind of messy, it will do its best to work out cleaning up the shape that you're trying to draw, very customizable. And it has um, a, a really neat uh, layers tool. I think some apps on the iPad with layers make it complicated to navigate them or, or understand how they interact. And Linear Sketch just makes it really clear and easy to understand what those layers are doing and you can emerge and adjust them and all those things you would expect. But I think the layer management is, is top of the class.
0: Yeah. Another one that really stands out to me as an iPad app is this app called concepts. And, um, yeah, I just got done talking about good notes and how the, the pin recognition is so good. I still feel like there's no app that really matches handwriting for me. Like a notebook and a pen. Um, it's just something that they really haven't got there yet, but, um, the idea of like mind mapping and drawing out concepts and ideas on an iPad make a lot of sense for me. I've got the big iPad and the, I actually keep my, my large iPad on, on my table in my office. And so I stand up all the time and sit and work on that. And this concepts app is, is one of my go-to apps for that because you can draw images very easily in it. You can write words on it. It works. And you can pan and zoom, you can shrink and expand the page to your heart's desire. And it's just a great kind of like, you know, to think about, I used to have like big pieces of paper in my office at the old, you know, before digital age, and you'd have this big piece of paper, like a butcher block paper, and you'd write ideas and, and draw lines on it. But you could never erase them and you can never, you know, change them or move pieces around on the page. Concepts lets you do all of that. It's a... It's just a really solid app for that kind of problem, and it's something that only works on iPad.
1: I want to talk about more pro apps for the iPad, and one of the the most curious things to me about the iPad through today is that Apple isn't really present in the pro app market on the iPad. There's not Final Cut. There's There's iMovie, and there's some third-party ones we'll talk about. And logic really isn't there either. There is this weird <laughs> there's this weird app uh, called Logic Remote, which like lets you kind of deal with logic on your Mac from your iPad, but it's not the full experience. And I want to see Apple bring its pro apps to the iPad. Clearly, it's not a power issue. The iPad is plenty powerful, but for whatever reason, they haven't seen fit to bring their own first party titles over to it and i think that's a shame
0: it's crazy the same company that makes a tablet computer that benchmarks in comparison to a macbook pro refuses to put any of its pro apps on the device Mm -hmm. i don't understand it i mean that's another one where every year i go to wwdc saying oh this is the year they're going to show that you can run logic on an ipad and it's like i don't know what the reason is but they don't do
1: it You know, I think some people would look at that and say, well, they don't want to cannibalize Mac sales. And I could tell you, if Logic was available on the iPad and the Mac, I would still choose to edit on the Mac for a bunch of different reasons. But when I traveled, I could maybe get away without a laptop more easily. So for me, it would be about options. It wouldn't be about replacing one with the other. Maybe Apple's afraid of that. But I think... I think they need to sh- set the example of what pro apps can do on the iPad. And like, you've got several options, Apple, like just, just pick one.
0: I I don't, I don't understand. I, I don't really have an explanation for it, but it, it is weird. And it it really is a problem because I think there is a general um feeling out there that you can't do pro apps on the iPad. I think that, that, you know, that's something that, people as a general perception, which is just not true. I mean, we're going to talk in a minute here about some great third-party apps out there that that are really pro-level apps, but they're, it's a minority of them. There just aren't that many. And I think this is all partly uh, related to the business model as well. But, you know, we need more pro apps. We want. I want people to understand that the iPad is a professional device.
1: It's not to say they're not good third-party options. Uh, When I think about pro iPad apps, the first one that comes to mind for me is Pixelmator Photo, which is this really cool, really powerful photo editing um, application. And it does a bunch of stuff that you would expect a Mac application to do. There's batch editing. There's all these export options. There's really good integration with the Photos library. It's just, it's really nice. It takes advantage of so many things the iPad is good at. And it's, it's fantastic with things like USB-C where you can bring photos in really easily and edit them in a really nice application. You don't have to turn to something like Photoshop to, to do this anymore.
0: Yeah. That's PixelMeter photo is the one I use, but another one that is, is also very good is affinity photo that people do amazing work on with their iPads. And, um, You know, the the Adobe stuff, I'm really unqualified to talk about it. But as I understand it, Adobe now, is it Photoshop is on iPad now or that they've been working toward it?
1: No, it's there, but it is a subset of what the desktop version can do. But over time, they say that they're going to bring more and more features to it. And they have a it will open like PSD files or, you know, new PSD files. So like there's some back and forth you can do with the desktop, but it's it's not a one for one replacement of. You know what you have on your MacBook Pro, if that's what you're used to.
0: Yeah, yeah, but they, you know, but Adobe is getting religion too now. I mean, all this is good. You know, we're we're seeing this trend happen, and in the absence of Apple embracing the iPad as a professional app platform, there are some good apps out there. Um, uh, uh like in the video editing, there's Lumafusion and Filmic Pro, which are two outstanding video production applications that a lot of people use to make real nice video and they do it all on iPad.
1: And video editing is one of those things that's so natural with the pencil. Audio editing is too, I've used fair, uh, a fair, a fair bit to edit audio on the iPad, but video editing just like springs to life on an iPad pro in a way that I was sort of surprised by the first time I tried it. But you've, you run into the issues of file management, all those, all those other things. But those two applications are really pushing what the iPad can do in really interesting ways and really taking advantage of the power the iPad has. A lot of apps can't really make the iPad hardware sing like video editing apps can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, um, I'm sorry, you just mentioned it. What's the name of that podcasting app? Everybody's fair. Right. Fair. Yeah. Uh, that's another one. It's like if you make podcasts and you want to edit them, you can you just can't make a double recording on the device. It's like the software is there, the hardware isn't there yet. You mm-hmm. know, come on. Um, I would argue that the Microsoft Office apps are pro apps. Um, you know, I do a lot of you know serious businessy type stuff in the Microsoft Office apps, and there are some limitations. I'll I'll talk about them later, but uh, to a large extent. Microsoft has done an excellent job of getting the key features over to the iPad. I routinely, you know, review Word documents and track changes and all that stuff with spreadsheets as well, uh with no problem on iPad. So the pro apps are are, are showing up, but I think one of the challenges is is the business model.
1: I think so too. It is challenging for third-party developers to make a good living just on iPad software and these pro applications take a lot of time and a lot of people to develop for and to troubleshoot and QA and keep updated. And if you look at something like, like LumaFusion, it's, a, it's an incredible, deep, rich application that takes real money to develop. And if you can't sell it or you can't have a subscription for it, that pay those bills and that app's not going to be around, you know, we're in this season where more and more apps are going subscription. And, you know, a lot of people are unhappy with that and that, that's fair, But we need to understand that software isn't free to make and it shouldn't really be free to use. And in the app store environment, if you need to sell your app for $29 to keep your business open, that's a really hard pitch to people who are looking for a way to edit video on their iPad.
0: Like LumaFusion, I think is $20. At least that's what it was when I bought it. Uh, Final Cut is $300. The difference between LumaFusion and Final Cut is not the difference between... 20
1: and
0: 300 no uh so you know and for whatever reason there's just never been a real you know pro pricing model in the ipad there's a great app for the ipad for lawyers called TrialPad, and it does an amazing job when you're in trial i've used it in many trials over my career where you want to display documents to the jury, but you can't show them until the judge approves them. There's just a whole bunch of little problems you have when you're in a trial about what you can share and can't can't share. And then like you want to put exhibit tabs and you know, there's just a bunch of little problems you have. And there's been software made to do this for years and they sell it for thousands of dollars, you know, the software solutions. And quite often lawyers would show up for trial with a dedicated computer running that software with an extra person like an expert in that software to do nothing but run that software for the whole trial for them. Massively expensive to do this. Uh, So trial pad um, comes out and it's easy enough that you can use it while you're trying the case yourself. You don't need an extra person. It outputs to a projector and it does everything, all that thousand multi-thousand dollar software did, but it's easier, you know, and it attaches to the cloud. So if you have your stuff in Dropbox, I mean, it's just, it's a great solution. And I think he started selling it for $80 and people were going crazy that they had to pay $80 for the software that replaces multi-thousand dollar software. I, I, you know, it's just, there's a mindset problem. Um, if you want these types of apps, you got to pay for them. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. Trial pad is currently $130. So they've taken the good. I'm glad. Yeah. They're, they're earning their keep. Hopefully. Yeah, and uh, and honestly, it's
0: worth a lot more than that mm-hmm. if you uh, if you do trial work. So so that that's what we need. We need the business model and and users that want those super features have to be willing to pay for them. I mean, that's the other problem is when you want the super features, it's a much smaller subset of customers. So yep. there's all sorts of issues. But yep. I do think the business model has held it up. I'm encouraged to see people selling um, real software for real prices on the iPad that means that there may be a future for additional software like
1: that. This episode of Mac power users is brought to you by our friends over at Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It's the all in one platform to build anything you need for your next website. You need a domain name. Squarespace can help you out. You want to choose from a bunch of award winning templates that are beautifully designed. Squarespace has all of those too. You need to create an online store and a portfolio and a blog and host a podcast and sell stuff on and on and on. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do all that stuff. And there's nothing to install. There's no patches to worry about. No software server stuff to learn. Squarespace has simply got it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help allow you to quickly and easily grab a unique domain name and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I've spoken a lot over the last few months about a couple of freelance projects I've done for people in Squarespace and I just handed the keys over to a site, uh, to a small business. I built uh, a Squarespace site for them. I sat down with the owner, showed them how to edit things, how to add images. They wanted to have a photo gallery on a page and within just a couple of minutes had this really nice gallery of images on their website, and they didn't have to learn anything. It's all click and point and drag and drop. It was fantastic. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash MPU. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name and to show your support for the show. Once again, that's squarespace.com MPU. And the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for the support of the show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. I mean to summarize,
0: I'd like to talk about judging the iPad a little bit. And we've talked about what works and what doesn't. I think the, you know, the the high level thing is for easy stuff, the iPad is killing it. And for hard stuff, the iPad needs work but i thought it'd be fun to look at the ipad in comparison to other tablet operating systems and hardware as we sit here um so over the weekend i took a trip to the windows store to the microsoft store windows store you know whatever you call that thing right sure yeah yeah the place where there's nobody in there i went to that place and i took a look at the 2 in 1s and the um the various tablet you know some of the um the, the surface that that microsoft makes and i feel like the ipad problem isn't just an ipad problem i think all tablet computers seem to suffer from this this identity crisis is am i a laptop replacement or am i something that's easy to use and i don't think anybody's doing a very good job at it and of them i think maybe the ipads doing the best job at it
1: it's tricky they've they've these products have to walk that line And if they, if they go one way too far the other, then they just become something else, which defeats the whole purpose of being a tablet. Like it's, it's tricky. And I understand that. I understand that that's hard. And I think things like the smart keyboard or even the surface keyboard being optional is really nice because then you can use it as a tablet. Or if you want a more laptop like thing, it transforms in your hands into something else. And that's something that only tablets can do. You know, the MacBook. Can't do that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. And, and like, for instance, on the Windows stuff, the operating system is really made for a mouse, e- even though they have pencils and you can use them. And it's obvious when you're using it that it's made for a mouse. And it takes a lot of precision to really drive it as a tablet. I I don't know. I, I just feel like it made me feel better about the iPad looking at the competition. That, you know, and and you know that even though the Android phones are lighting it up, there really aren't a lot of ipad competitors on the android side and and the software really hasn't got there and and people aren't even embracing it as much on android as they are on ios Mm -hmm. um but one of the things i got thinking about is as someone who advocates for ipad so often on this show and in my life i recently bought a laptop you know and the question is is it an ipad a laptop replacement i was kind of flippant on the show where i explained i bought the i the uh, the laptop i think i was kind of embarrassed honestly that i bought it because because <laughs> i talk about the ipad so much and i got some people writing me saying you know what a jerk you are to buy a laptop for vacation but it's it's more than that you know i my day job i go to all these transactions i i'm involved i'm a largely a transactional lawyer at this point so i go to these meetings that are full of lawyers and accountants and business people, and we've got multiple spreadsheets and Word documents, and we're just doing a lot in these meetings. And, you know, when I use the iPad, it's great. It does have Microsoft Word and, and, and uh, Excel on it, but I can't have seven of them open or 15 of them open at once and get from one to the next easily. And when my client's looking over my shoulder and I'm fiddling with the doc to try and get to a different document, that's not good either. So, I mean, it really kind of became a necessity to me because the i was hitting my head at kind of the high-end feature level with the thing sure and and, um and i really wish that wasn't the case you know i i would prefer because i like the sexy ipad i like having that thing in my bag and and something we didn't mention in this show is the ipad has better battery life than than a macbook it it has a built-in cellular radio um it is immediately on when you turn it on. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that it's better at than laptops. But it just, at some of the power features I use, I mean, I find I'm bringing the laptop with me to a lot of meetings, you know? And and that's not really because I would prefer to, but because I need to. And Mm -hmm. um, I feel like, you know, the iPad still has some room here in 2020 if it really wants to become all that it can be.
1: Agreed. For me, the iPad is, as good as it has gotten, is still really secondary. You know, I've got my desktop, I've got a MacBook Pro, and they are almost always my first and second choice when it comes to work. Now, a lot of my work is Mac only because I do a lot of audio editing, but things like preparing for this podcast, right? I could choose the Mac or iPad, and I tend to choose the Mac because I feel I feel faster, I feel less restricted by the multitasking. I feel like I've got my utilities and scripts and text expander and everything else that I want to work with more readily at hand on the iPad. But there is a lot to be said for taking an iPad for focused work and for taking it and saying, I'm just going to work on, for me at least, I'm speaking for myself, I need to work on this document, I need to work on you know these issues, I need to clear my inbox. And the iPad is inherently more focused for the way that I work with it and there are times where that's what I want but it's not been really ever been my primary choice for a mobile computer and I don't really know what Apple could do to change that part of it is I prefer macOS I prefer the mac for for better for worse and for a bunch of reasons I can't really put my finger on I'm more comfortable with macOS at my fingertips than iPadOS
0: Yeah. See, I think I'm using the iPad more than you because like a lot of my, a lot of my client meetings, I'll bring an iPad instead of the laptop, but, or if I'm going to go to Starbucks to work, I can absolutely do everything I need on iPad. But like I said, it's those meetings where there's a lot of stuff being covered where I need the laptop. And that happens to me, you know, probably three times, four times a month. And, um, and in those cases, the laptop pays for itself. I, don't, I just don't worry about it. That's it's part of my business life. I need to have it. So I have it. But um, uh, there's a part of me that wants to bring the iPad to those things as well. But I've kind of accepted it's just not there yet. So hopefully in years future, I will be able to say that it, it does get there. And that that kind of got me thinking as I was working on the outline for this show, the show. The, I've been reading a lot lately about Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey. You know, they use it in fiction all the time but the iPad has kind of had its own hero's journey. I mean, when it first started, it was, you know, this great new product it came out, launched with a bang, everybody was buying them, and then it had all these years kind of in the doldrums. But I feel like it's the curve is going up again on the iPad and um we're at the beginning of seeing where it can go. And and it, you know, partly depends on the hardware, but the hardware is very good. But also, I think partly depends on Apple's willingness to push the iPad's upper limits. And that's not going to be easy. It's going to take a lot of work. We talked about multitasking and how hard it is to figure that out, but I hope they do put the time in it. And um, I'm a little hopeful that they will now. I mean, I, for, for several years, I thought that they just didn't care about it. Now, now I realize they do.
1: I'm really honestly optimistic about what the iPad is going and and where Apple's going to take it in the next few years.
0: I mean, the hardware is so advanced. I mean, one of the things we didn't really say in today's show is the hardware is light years ahead of the software in a lot of ways. Agreed. And it's untapped. The reason why it's hard to recommend an iPad Pro is because the current crop of software is fine on the slower processor, you know, because we haven't tapped the full potential of the device yet. So I'd really like to see that happen. I'd like to see software that doesn't run on some iPad because it's so powerful. Anyway, that's the iPad. 2020
1: all right ah uh, we covered a lot though didn't we 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 did there's a lot to cover we a little lot, long today there's yeah. a lot of stuff <laughs> talk about the ipad
0: yeah uh what are your thoughts on the ipad how does it work for you where does it fail let us know in the forums over at talk.macpowerusers.com i'm sure we'll have a lot of uh folks weighing in on their love or disdain for the ipad this is a very polarizing device i think of everything apple makes so it is it always curious to see what people think and there we go we are the mac power users you can find us over at relay.fm slash mpu thank you to our sponsors today freshbooks smile SaneBox, and squarespace go check out the new keyboard maestro update i'm proud of it and uh see you next week